We're in the book of Joshua tonight. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Joshua with me. We're at Joshua chapter 1. That is the Old Testament. If you're not familiar uh, with Joshua, maybe you've never read it before. Uh, Maybe your Old Testament is untraveled territory. And so, like, it's almost breaking open the Bible for the very first time. Your pages are so crispy. This will be... I hope not too, but maybe your Bible's brand new, and if it's brand new, then you've got an excuse. Uh, but remember, listen, when it comes to your, your Bible, um, I want to encourage you when you're sitting in a teaching or um, when, you're, when you have your devotional time, have a pen, have a highlighter, uh, circle things that God speaks to you as you're studying the Word. Maybe it's a word, maybe you need to underline a verse, maybe... You can write in the margin another scripture that's connected to it or a point that really does hit home. Um, remember, it's, it's okay. I think the first time I ever wrote in my Bible, I was like, man, can I do this? Is God going to, you know, take the two by four? Not that, that God does that, but, but um, all my Bibles, all of my Bibles are heavily marked up. And I've just been using this one for... Uh, four months now, and it's, man, it's really marked up. I can't wait to mark up Joshua. So uh, we're in Joshua chapter one tonight. I'm gonna pray for us, and then we'll study this chapter, this whole chapter together. Father, thank you so much for your word, and thank you, God, that the Old Testament as, is as inspired as the New Testament. Thank you, God, that the Old Testament is as necessary for our spiritual growth as the New Testament, And Father, it is as relevant as the New Testament books. And we pray tonight, God, we know that we can't can't pray, we can't study and learn and grow without your Holy Spirit. And so as we were praying and asking for that anointing of your Spirit, God, would you supply it now? And as your word says, God, open up our hearts, open up our minds, and just Bring your word to, to bear, the perfect word that we need tonight, God, bring it to bear into our lives so that we sincerely can leave this place saying that we heard from the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, Joshua is a, a, a great book to study, and I want to lay a little bit of, um, you know, the historical context and its place in Scripture out to you. Super brief tonight. It's not going to be uh, really in-depth on this. But um, Joshua, of course, was a servant of Moses. We'll talk about that more in just, in just a minute. Um, if you are reading your Bible from cover to cover, before you get to the book of Joshua, you've already been introduced to Joshua his name in Hebrew is Yehoshua or Yeshua. Um, the, the, the Greek version of that is, is actually Jesus. And so his name in Hebrew is the same as the Greek name Jesus. And it simply is a compound word that means Jehovah saves or Yahweh saves. Uh, so we're going to see that demonstrated in this book in a lot of different circumstances and stories and situations it is really a book um, that, that, you know, he's, he is the, he's the key character, definitely. The book is not about Joshua, um, but he is a key character. He's introduced to us in chapter one as he is commissioned by God. He takes over for Moses. We're going to see that in just a minute. Um, and then we journey with Joshua um, through a lot of different amazing stories, I'm sure that you're going to be very familiar with. You know, chapter two, we go straight into uh, the story of Jericho, the taking of the city of Jericho. Uh, but by the time we get to the end of the book, chapter 24, uh, we're told of Joshua's death. And so, you know, he didn't write it as a journal or as a diary, but in some ways, you know, that's what we have. If you're interested in, you know, biographic biographical stories or, you know, you like characters of the Bible and you want to know a little bit more about them, then this will bless you because you learn a lot about Joshua. Uh, The writing of this book was around 1400 BC, so just to kind of give you a a time frame. And remember, um, if you are beginning in Genesis and you get to Joshua, uh, the first five books of the Bible are called the books of Moses or the Torah. Uh, or the law. 
Uh, and so by the time we get to Joshua, in the English Bible at least, we are starting a, a new category of writings, and they're called the historical writings. And so Joshua initiates that new category within the Old Testament. Now, if you're reading your Hebrew Bible, um, and you can read Hebrew, God bless you if that's the case, it's a little different because Joshua is actually um, included in the prophets. The Hebrew Bible has three categories. It has the law, it has the prophets, and it has the writings. And so um, in the Hebrew Bible, Joshua's in the, considered to be one of the prophetic books, and some people say, well, that's because uh, they believe Joshua to be a prophet. Um, obviously, Genesis is the starting of the story. It's, you know, the beginning of all things. It's also the selecting of Abraham and the story of the patriarchs. And by the time we get to Exodus, of course, remember the children of Israel, they're, they're, they're stuck, they're in bondage under Pharaoh in Egypt, they cry out for a deliverer, God is faithful to, to raise up Moses, and the story of Exodus really is, obviously, the story of the Exodus of the Israelites out of that bondage and out from underneath the oppressive, um, dictatorial, tyrannical rule and reign of Pharaoh, and then the amazing stories, right, as they were led by Moses uh, through the Red Sea and bread from, he from heaven and water from the rock and the bitter waters of Marah being sweetened, the failure at Kadesh Barnea as the 12 went to spy out the land and 10 came back with the bad report and two came back with the good report. By the way, do you know, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Do you know the two that came back with the good re report? You know what their names were? Joshua and Caleb. So Joshua goes all the way back to the book of Exodus. Uh, and then, of course, you have Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Uh, and, and these books, there are unique aspects to each of these books and different things that they give us from an Old Testament perspective as far as content goes. But they give us a, a, a real um, clear picture, the breadth of the story of what was happening as the Israelites were sojourning in the wilderness for 40 years because they resisted believing by faith in the promise of God uh, and because they were unwilling to walk by faith, the consequence of that was they, they were not allowed to enter into the promised land. Um, it wasn't until that generation died off. And you say, well, what about Moses? Why wasn't he able to enter the promised land? Well, there's an incident, there's a story where um, Moses was frustrated with the people of God because of their complaining, and they complained all the time. All the time the Israelites were complaining, even though God had done so many amazing things. And instead of speaking, he got angry. Instead of speaking to the rock uh, so that the water would flow from the rock, some of you know the story, he smote the rock uh, twice, and he misrepresented God. And the consequence of that was he was not allowed to go into the promised land. And that's where uh, we get the commissioning of Joshua, who leads the Israelites in the stead of Moses. The theme of the book, like make no mistake about it, is the faithfulness of God to fulfill his covenant promises with his people. Let me just say it again. The theme of the book is the faithfulness of God to fulfill his covenant promises with his people. And um, there's, there are a lot of great stories, and Joshua's an amazing figure and character. Um, but really what, remember, when you're talking about themes in the Bible, themes are never oriented around a person. Themes are always oriented around God. And so what we have displayed in Joshua is the fulfillment of the promise that God had given to Abraham, reiterated to Isaac, reiterated to Jacob, and then was reiterated through Moses. And now it's, you know, being fulfilled. I mean, it really is an amazing thing to consider. And you know, one of the reasons why it's good for us to study the Old Testament is um, there is something called the meta narrative or the grand story, the whole picture, the big picture of what God is doing from Genesis to Revelation. And sometimes, you know, just the way that we are, we get, we get all caught up or focused on a segment of it or a piece of it um, in the, you know, in the American church. This is this is kind of an unfair generalization. But sometimes what happens in New Testament churches, um, you know, there's a tendency not to dig into the Old Testament to get the bigger picture of what, what it is that God is doing. And if you don't do that, you will miss out on so much. 
for instance, the faithfulness of God is not just demonstrated in the giving of Jesus Christ and his perfect life, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. The faithfulness of God was laid out centuries before. It's like, how can you know that God is faithful? Well, I'll tell you how you can know. Look at how faithful he was to Israel. Look at how faithful he was to Abraham. Like, you learn so much about the character of God as you journey through the scripture and you study him. I wasn't planning on saying this tonight, but I want to encourage you. Sorry as I try to catch my breath. Um, I want to encourage you to read through your Bible. Man, read through your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, one of the greatest things that you can do. And some of you are, you know, you're... um, your New Year's resolution kind of people. I can't think of a better resolution than to say, you know what, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. And there are all sorts of different ways you can do it. You can go from uh, the beginning to the end. <clears throat> you can do a chronological read through the Bible. You can, there are study plans where you can get a little bit of the New Testament, uh, a lot of the Old Testament because it's two-thirds of the Bible, and a psalm for the day. And so um, there are just a, a lot of different ways that you can do it. I, I, you can read 10 pages in the morning, 10 pages at night, and you can read your whole Bible in two and a half months. I've done that um, a number of times, and it is just a great thing to do. So remember, the, can you guys do that? Yeah. You should try it. I'm just saying. Try it and then let me know how it goes. You won't regret it. So, so the theme is the faithfulness of God. Um, keys in the study of this book, uh, obviously, are the faithfulness of God, but also the faith of God's people. And that theme is going to come up over and over again. In fact, we're initiated into this book with a beautiful reminder of the promise of God and the breadth of what he was supplying to his people if they would only walk by faith and be obedient. And you're going to see the tug of war, the ebb and flow of that throughout the book. Um, and, the, and, and ultimately, um, what the book is about is the full possession of the promise that did not come without a battle. Now, I also want to say to you tonight, some of you might be thinking, well, you know, where's the application for me? And there's just going to be a ton of application, obviously, as we learn about who God is Um, as we learn about how we should live our lives based on um, successes and failures of the children of Israel. Like I said this last Sunday, everything that was written about the Israelites, it was all written for our admonition or our um, instruction. And so there's just a lot of instruction. But also, let me just drill down a little deeper. Don't forget that the Bible is filled with types and symbols. And so throughout the scripture, um, what, you, what you discover is that there are deeper meanings that God has intended for certain aspects of um, his scripture, whether it's a story, whether it's a feast, whether it's a person. Um, in in scholarly, scholarly terms, it's called a type, and every type has an antitype. Um, an antitype is found in the Bible. So oftentimes, Paul will say, well, that thing that was presented in the Old Testament is actually a fulfillment. It was just a picture of something in the New Testament. And, and of course, you know, Christ is our Passover lamb. Paul mentions that. He mentions a number, a number of other things as well. The exodus of Israel and ultimately inheriting the promised land is, I believe, a type. And, you know, um, depending on how you view types, maybe you're not convinced enough to call it a type, I would say then, well, it's, it's, a, it's a metaphor, it's a symbol, it points to the Christian life. So, the Israelites made their exodus out of Egypt. Egypt is always a type or a symbol of sin. They were relieved from the slavery of Pharaoh. Pharaoh is a representation of the adversary, the devil. They went through the waters of the Red Sea. That represents water baptism for the Christian. Peter said that in his second epistle. They were fed with bread from heaven. Jesus is the bread of life. There was water that came from the the rock. The Holy Spirit is is living waters for us. Um, and And then the promised land, because, you know, oftentimes people think, well, the promised land is heaven. Not not in biblical typology. In biblical typology, the promised land, the land of Israel, was the full Christian life. It represents the full Christian life. It represents everything that we have 
as believers in Jesus Christ. It is the promised land, the abundant life, heaven's life in this life. Remember, you're not just waiting for heaven's life um, when you die and go to some geographic location. You can experience heaven's life right here and right now. It is available for you to possess, and it doesn't come without a battle. So when you're in heaven, there will, there, there will be no battle. There will be no fighting uh, against your flesh. There will be no fighting against the adversary. So obviously, the promised land can't be a picture or a type of heaven. It's a type of the full Christian life in this life. That is why Joshua, as a book, is the Old Testament corollary to the New Testament book of John. And that's why I picked this book. These two books go together. So as we read and study John on Sunday morning, and we're studying Joshua on Thursday night, you have two Old Testament books that thematically are tied together. You say, well, what does the promised land in heaven's life, you know, how, how does that relate to John? Well, remember, the book of John is all about Jesus being the Son of God and how he came to give life and that much more abundantly. That is one of the key themes of John. So does that make sense? Are you guys with me tonight? That's just kind of a little preface this evening for the book of Joshua. Um, tonight we're going to be looking at Joshua, uh, and we're going to be discussing the commissioning of Joshua. These are the, the early moments of Joshua's new ministry. Um, I was doing a little research before the service tonight, and I was thinking, man, what are some of the hardest jobs? Right, you probably, you think, do you have a hard job? Raise your hand if you've got a hard job. Wow, you guys are blessed. Like, we've got six people that have a hard job in this place. <laughs> that's, that's awesome, man. God's been good to you. Well, well I, did, I did a little research. I did a little research, and uh, maybe you would be surprised to discover that I'm going to give you the, the top three most difficult jobs, and this is pretty much across the board on all the websites that I surveyed. Number three is firefighter, right? Can we thank God for all the firefighters that we have? Aren't, aren't they great? Number two is a surgeon, right? I would say that that's probably a, a pretty difficult job. Some of the websites that I surveyed said people in the medical industry um, and the number one, almost without exception, was the military. Being in the military is, is considered. So thank you for all the people that serve in the military. Um, I would say also in that number one category would be taking over for Moses. I don't know about you guys, but, but I think when I think about a hard job, man, taking over, think about how big that is, right? Taking over for Moses. And yeah, holy Moses, right? So First one says this, actually, this is what I want you to do. Go back to Deuteronomy, and uh, I just want to read in verse 9, and we're going to go straight into Joshua. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, so the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the, this is a big buildup, right? None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. And then verse 1, chapter 1, Joshua, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, said, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Moses, my servant, is dead. So, so I think the last handful of verses in Deuteronomy like really do remind us how significant Moses was. I love how the Bible calls Moses the servant of the Lord. It doesn't call him the celebrity of the Lord. It calls him the servant of the Lord. And truly, listen, if you, want to be, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, the Bible says, then you are called to be the servant of all. You know, it seems like we really have um, 
We've flipped that upside down in the modern church world. Oftentimes when people think about being used mightily for God or having a significant influence, it all gets oriented around personal advancement and personal opportunity and, you know, the development of our name and the development of our brand and and how, you know, we can kind of rise to the top as it were. But Jesus presented a completely different picture for leadership, New Testament leadership in the church. Like if you really want to go up, the pathway up is down. It is humbling yourself. It is being a servant of all. Um, It's not advancing your name and your opportunity and your brand and getting yourself out there. It It is getting the name of Christ out there. It is being willing to do the most menial tasks in serving God's people. In fact, of course, you know, I say that, and I know you guys know your Bible. You think about the foot washing in the upper room. Just hours before Jesus was going to be betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, what is he doing? He's, he's, he's taking the, the lowest possible place in the household. He's doing what the most menial servant would do. He washes the feet of his disciples, and then he says to his disciples, I've done this as an example for you to do to one another. And so, look, of all the things you could have called Moses, right? Mighty order, um, powerful in miracles. There are so many titles and tags you could have given him. The scripture simply calls him the servant of the Lord because there's nothing greater than being God's servant. Right. You can kind of feel the, the shock of this. I want you to put yourself in the uh, place of Joshua and the Israelites at the time. I mean, this, this individual that had been so powerfully used by God and leading the people after 40-some years, you know, the, it, it happens, it finally happens, Mo- Moses is dead. And you, you can feel just the way that it's said here, you know, God speaks to Joshua and he's like, Moses, my servant, is dead. You know, there's no like, hey, hey, listen, buddy, I know this is going to be hard to swallow, and I know you guys were close, and you, you had a lot of hang time together, and, you know, you threw down lots of Turkish coffee and ate a lot of pita and hummus, but I got some bad news for you, man. It's, it's over. He's just like, no, just matter of fact, straight to the point, Moses is gone, and And you can imagine from the perspective of Joshua and from the Israelites just how jarring this would be. Like this would create a lot of questions. What are we going to do now? Like we're coming up to the precipice of the fulfillment of the promise of God. And like the key leader of all leaders has now been taken away. So I want to remind you, God's purposes don't die with his chosen leaders. God's purposes don't die with his chosen leaders. I think that Moses was probably faithful to remind Joshua, hey listen dude, God can use anybody. God can use anybody. Don't get so focused on me that somehow you think that the work of God is going to die with me. If you think that, if you tie the work of God so much to the human instrument, you have lost sight, you've lost perspective on who the one doing the work really is. In Isaiah chapter 6, the Bible says right before, and you guys know this chapter when Isaiah has that vision of God, and he's sitting on the throne, and the seraphim are going around the throne declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Like before that happens in verse 1, the Bible says, in the year King Uzziah died, And King Uzziah was a good king, an influential man. And do do you know a lot of people believe that Uzziah had to actually be moved out of the way because people had become so focused on him instead of the Lord? They were so focused on the human instrument and attributing so much of what God was doing to this man that his life actually became an obstacle to people seeing God. And so God allowed him to be removed out of the way, and it was in that place that people, Isaiah for sure, had the vision once again to see the fullness of God's glory. So, so, you know, first of all, of course, take away the beauty of the relationship that God has with 
Joshua. Just as, just as God spoke to Moses, now God is speaking to Joshua. Verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that, check this out, be really careful, watch this, I am giving to them to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I, what does it say? Right, does it say I will give? No, it says I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. And so listen, from Joshua's perspective, and you have to understand like filling the shoes of, jo- of, of Moses would have been like perceivably an insurmountable task. Uh, and God wasn't calling Joshua to fill Moses' shoes. God was calling Joshua to be Joshua, right? Yet, what God does is he speaks to Joshua, and then not only, not only does he speak to, to Joshua, but he commissions Joshua. This is the fulfillment of God laying his hands on this new leader, First and foremost, in relationship, speaking to him, because fundamentally, being a spiritual leader is about hearing God before anything else. Before the doing, before the directing, before the miracles, before the power, before the teaching, before the preaching, the leader has to be hearing from God. Because if you aren't hearing from God, you don't have anything. You don't have anything to give. And so Joshua, he hears from God, and then God commissions him. God gives him the command. And the command is really clear. You're going to get up with the people, and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna cross the Jordan River. And the truth is, I've given you title. It all belongs to you, but you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to go through the battle to get it. The command comes, and not only does the command come, but he affirms his promise to Joshua, every place, every place that the sole of your sandal falls, every rock, you know, every, every, whether you're in the desert or you're on the beach or you're on the top of the mountain as you think about the terrain of Israel, every place your sandal falls, it's already been given to you because listen, the battle belongs to the Lord. Do you know that tonight? The battle belongs to the Lord. Like what, what battle are you going through tonight? What thing are you dealing with? What adversity are you confronted with? What temptation are you struggling with? Listen, the promised land is the fullness of the Christian life, and it already belongs to you because of Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection. That that is a fact. You say, well, well, how do I walk in that? Well, check this out, verse 4. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, All the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. By the way, they never fully possessed all that land. Verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just, check this out, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. He's not done. I will not leave you or forsake you. And so he speaks to Joshua, he commissions Joshua, he affirms the promise to Joshua, the same promise he'd given to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, continuing through Moses and now reaffirmed to Joshua. And then he also, check this out, he affirms his power. No man's going to be able to stand against you. There's no city that's so fortified that you're not going to be able to take it. And by the way, the way that you take the city is not going to be by conventional methods. You know this in chapter 2, like, they do the most unconventional thing to secure the victory over Jericho, which was a fortified city. They walked around it one time for six days and then 13 times on the seventh day, and they shouted and blew their trumpets, and the walls fell down. That was a demonstration of the power of God, and and, uh, and. a confirmation that what God said here to Joshua was, in fact, true. You know, God did mighty things through Moses' life, but God needed to do mighty things through Joshua's life to confirm him as his leader as well. And so, so I want to remind you tonight, as we're thinking about entering into the promised land, the fullness of the Christian life, you do so by the power of God. The weapons of warfare that God has given to you are not carnal in nature, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds 
and all those things that exalt themselves against the, the, the knowledge of God. He affirms his power, and then there's just this beautiful affirmation of his presence, you, you, you know, which was important for Joshua because Joshua was there when Moses said to the Lord, unless you go with me, I am not moving. Unless I know that your presence goes before me, I'm not going anywhere. And I am sure that this was running in Joshua's mind as he has this commissioning, and before he can even say what Moses had said to the Lord, Josh, Joshua hears from the Lord himself, listen, I'm going to be with you. Just as I was with Moses, so also I will be with you. I will not forsake you. Man, how, how encouraging, how comforting, how relieving would that be to hear? Thank you, Lord. You know he's with you tonight. Do you know if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's never going to leave you or forsake you? Do you know that the presence of God has literally taken up residence within your own life? Your physical body is the temple of the living God? You know you don't leave this place and, and think, oh man, I'm, I'm so bummed to not be around my brothers and sisters because now I'm alone. No, you're not. No, you're not. You go to the workplace and you're isolated from Christians and Christian infrastructure and you feel alone. Well, guess what? You're not alone. The Lord is with you. Wherever you go, you have the presence of God. You say, well, I don't feel it. Well, you have to stand on the facts of God's word. The Bible says it. And so what you do is you lean into it. You learn to develop that communion with the Father so that you are living in his presence, whether you're sitting in the seat in the worship center or whether you're working in one of the casinos as a blackjack. It's just great to be a pastor in Las Vegas, I just have to tell you guys right now. Because really, not a lot of people can say it like this, you know, it's just a lot of fun. Like in the craziest place, you bring the presence of God. The encouragement's not done. Check this out. There are three statements, be strong and courageous statements that God makes to Joshua. Verse six, you'll notice this. You, you, you could highlight and underline this if you wanted to. Um, but verse six, he says it. Verse seven, he says it again. And then you'll notice as well, over in verse nine, he says it for the final time. He says, be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So number one, listen, don't live in weakness. Don't be filled with fear. And why do you think that God was saying this to Joshua? Because he was afraid, right? Because he was afraid. I mean, do you guys really think that, that strong Godly leaders don't struggle with fear as well. You know, I mean, how many leaders that we respect in the Bible had to be told by God, don't be afraid. You know, there are fears in my own life that I am intentionally and purposefully conquering in Jesus' name on a daily basis, right? And this is why he says to him, be strong and courageous, Later, he will say specifically, don't be afraid or discouraged. So be strong and courageous, number one, because of the promise. Because of the promise. There's a reiteration here that Joshua was walking in something that was bigger than himself. It was bigger than himself. It wasn't just this work that he had come up with and devised in his own mind. No, there was a centuries-old promise that had been given that now Joshua has become a part of. This is why understanding the meta-narrative or the grand story of Scripture is so important because we are a part of a greater story, right? It's also a reaffirmation that with the loss of Moses, the purposes of God did not die, there are promises that God has given to you that I want to encourage you to courageously walk in. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous, be, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success. Success is built around obedience, wherever you go, he says. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way. How many of you want to be prosperous tonight? Raise, raise your hand. I'm just curious. All right, well, here's, here's your equation right here, right? For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. 
The second thing he says here to this leader that's taking over for Moses is be strong and courageous. Well, how can you be strong and courageous? By speaking the word, by thinking the word, and by living the word, right? By speaking the word, the command that came through Moses and the other commands that God had given, by speaking it, when you speak the word of God, you are affirming that your life is in alignment with the Lord. Look, the greatest thing that can be on your lips is the Holy Scriptures. As you're proclaiming the truth of God's word, you're declaring that your whole life is in congruency. You're in alignment with God. You are a voice piece for the purposes of God. You speak words of life over people, not words of death. Not, not, only, not only do leaders speak God's word, but leaders think God's word. He says, meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. It reminds you of Psalm 1. Meditate means to do more than just, well, I read a verse. It means to take the verse that you read in the morning as you're reading from Genesis to Revelation in your devotional time. That's going to start probably tomorrow or something like that. You know, it's going to... What, what it means is you take a piece of what you're reading and you think about it, you consider it, you let it seep into your soul. You let it percolate down into the deepest parts of your being. You let it consume your thought life. Listen, church, our thought life is, is so bombarded by media today and by our phones and our televisions and like you just add to the list, you know there is a battle over the thoughts of your mind. Yeah, and your mind is like a garden. The seeds that you plant today will be the fruit that you pick tomorrow. And so what, what seeds are you planting? This is why it's so important for us to plant the seed of God's word, to think about it, to consider it, to let the spirit of God get into our hearts. You know, sometimes our hearts get a little hardened. We become resistant to the things of God. That's why really thinking the word of God through in meditation, gives time for the Holy Spirit to soften you and to soften me up. It's not just thinking, but it's also doing, right? And so, so we're speaking the word, we're thinking the word, and now we're living the word. We've chosen to be obedient to the commands of God. You know, how we live our lives, how we behave, how we treat people, how we treat unsafe people, how we treat people in the church, how we treat people in the workplace, how we treat our husbands, our wives, our children, all of that is connected to living obediently to the word of God. He goes on finally to say, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Man, Joshua 1.9 is straight up a take home verse. I want to encourage you, meditate on it, write it down, tattoo it on your body, whatever, whatever is necessary, right? Um, but it is just so good because God wraps up this encouragement by saying, I'm with you. You have my promised presence. General Andrew Jackson said, one man with courage makes a majority. And I would say one man or woman with the spirit of God fueling a courageous lifestyle is absolutely a majority. And of course, that's too much to write down, but that's just my opinion. There you go. So verse 10, he gets all of, the, all of that from God and, and check out what he does. The Bible says, And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession, just check the confidence out, to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. So what does Joshua do? Joshua does not delay his obedience. Joshua does not delay his obedience. Joshua does not allow time to pass. Joshua doesn't get all this from God and, and then, you know, kind of sit back on his laurels and, and think about whether he wants to do it or not. Um, Joshua's wise enough to know that delayed obedience is disobedience, right? You guys know that? This is not just a good thing to say to your kids, which, by the way, it is, you know, you, you, and I've said it multiple times to, to my kids, you know, hey, clean your room. They don't clean, clean the room. Well, guess what? Delayed obedience is disobedience, and so now there's consequences for disobedience. But it's true in our relationship with God. You know, when God gives you a directive, when he gives you a command, the expectation is not that you're just going to let time pass, 
And you know it's good for you not to let time pass because when time passes, you start to doubt whether it was the Lord in the first place. You know, you, you, start, you can potentially give space to the enemy to discourage you from being obedient to the very thing that God called you to do. Listen, I think some of you, there's someone in this room, God has spoken to you to take a step of faith and to serve. I just think that there's somebody here tonight, God has spoken to you and you know you have gifts, you have talents that he wants to use for his purposes and he has been... He's been after you. He's been knocking on that door, and you've been resistant. And I just want to gently say to you tonight that delayed obedience is disobedience, and when you let time pass, it quenches the fire of the voice of God in your life. And by the way, if you do that over and over again, it's going to become harder and harder for you to hear from God. It's just going to be, become harder and harder. And then you know what God will do is he'll stop. He'll stop giving you that direction and guidance that you want because he's waiting for you to fulfill in obedience the first thing that he told you to do before he can give you the second thing or the third thing or the fourth thing. And so I want to encourage you tonight, be obedient to what God has spoken to you and be obedient with, with confidence, you know, I think it would have been a legitimate question as he's giving this command for people to come back and say, well, dude, the Jordan River, like, how do you expect us to cross the Jordan River? And Joshua did not have a strategy. Joshua did not have a plan. I'm not making an argument tonight for not having a plan or having a strategy, but I am saying to you, this was the confidence that he had in God. I think it was something like this. Well, if God can part the Red Sea, certainly he can part the Jordan River. Like, it's, it's not going to be a problem. But verse 12 says, And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. I'll explain this in a minute. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. Until the, rest, until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he is to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord God is giving them, then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And so, so Joshua speaks directly to two and a half tribes. And these two and a half tribes that are mentioned here, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of, of Manasseh, when they got to the east side of the Jordan River, they looked and they saw that the land was good for cattle. And they said, hey, can't, Moses, can't we just hang here? Like, this is going to be good enough for us to sustain our families, and so we just want to stay here. And Moses said, I'm going to make the concession, but the agreement is this. As the other tribes go into the land that's west of the Jordan River, all of your men of valor are going to go with them and are going to fight the battles until the land is secured. And then once the land is secured, then they can come back over the Jordan River and dwell in this land on the east side of the Jordan um, as your inheritance. It was a concession that was made, um, but what we see Joshua doing is we see him holding the people accountable to their word. And so the Bible says, just to wrap this up in verse 16, and they answered Joshua, all that you've commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against you, against your commandment, excuse me, and disobeys your words, Whatever you command him shall be put to death. We're not going to reenact that in the church, just, uh, just, just in case you're worrying. Only be strong and courageous. So I just want to wrap up tonight with the encouragement that the people give, right? So you've got God speaking to Joshua, commissioning Joshua, affirming Joshua, telling Joshua three times, be strong and courageous. You've got Joshua being obedient to fulfill the commission that God has given to him. He does it immediately. He holds two and a half tribes accountable because he is the leader now instead of Moses. And now the people turn back around and they encourage Joshua. There are four things that they do to encourage this brand new leader. Number one, they submit to him. Number one, they submit to him. You know, as, 
God was with Moses, and when God was with Moses, we were with him, so also we will be with you because we recognize you as God's appointed leader. They were with him. They supported the purpose. They supported the commissioning of God. Um, By the way, submission to spiritual leadership does not mean blind submission. It doesn't mean submission without accountability. Um, It means that you're willing to follow somebody as long as they are following the Lord, right? That's what it means. And Joshua was somebody who was following the Lord. If you want to be an encouragement to the spiritual leaders that God has placed in your life, then submit to them, especially in the local church environment, right? If you're part of a church where the word of God is being taught, where the great commission is being fulfilled, where people are being discipled, man, be on board with that, Don't kick against it. Don't fight against it. If you have a different vision, that's great. Go to a different church, right? Go to a church that fits the vision that you have for the church. And once you're there, submit and support the leadership that God has put in place. You know how much of God's work is held back because people are divisive or just unwilling to submit to the direction that God is leading a particular ministry. The second thing that they do is they pray for him. They pray for him. I mean, it's kind of said in the way of a blessing, but really it is, it is a blessing that is a prayer to God. Uh, the second thing I want to encourage you to do for your spiritual leaders is pray for them. I mean, if you did nothing else but just prayed for uh, the pastoral leadership and the families of the leaders and the leaders in the various departments that are heading up ministries, Man, that's what God has called all of us to do. When's the last time you prayed for the leaders in a church? Maybe, you know, it's been more of like, well, how come the church doesn't do this? And why isn't there that? And, you know, well, what about this? And, And I just would say to you, well, you know, if you want those things done, then take them to the Lord in prayer. You know, take them to the Lord in prayer. But take your leaders to the Lord in prayer and pray that God would strengthen them and encourage them and cause Uh, the work to flourish and to prosper. The third thing I see is that they assured Joshua, and basically they assured him by saying this, hey, we're with you, and if anybody stands against you, like, we're gonna kill him. We're just gonna put him to death. And I know you're thinking, well, how does that apply to, like, the modern context of the church? And I would say it's mutual accountability. It's mutual accountability. They didn't say to Joshua, hey, listen, Joshua, you're responsible for holding every Israelite accountable. They're like, no, this is what we're going to do. There's going to be, we are willing to hold one another accountable. There's going to be a mutual accountability so that we collectively are united to fulfill the purpose that God has for us. And I think that this is important for the church, right? You know, our body has an immune system and it fights against things collectively. Your body fights against things that would harm it. And I think accountability is like the immune system in the physical body. Accountability is the spiritual correlation to that. When we're willing to hold each other accountable, like the next time someone's gossiping, The next time someone's gossiping about someone in the church or the church or whatever, you know, you, you, you might say, well, when that happens, I'm, I don't join in, pastor, I'm silent. Well, your silence is affirmation. Your, your willingness just to take it in is not you standing against it, it is you affirming it. That's the way it's gonna be taken. For sure, don't be a part of gossip on social media, in little enclaves or cliques or whatever it might be, and don't be silent either. Shut it down, shut it down. Mutual accountability is so important for the church. The final thing is this, it's just encouragement. It's just a word of encouragement, and you know what's so interesting is the word of encouragement that they give to Joshua was the same thing that God had said to him. Be strong and courageous. Like, where did they get that? They weren't there in this very personal moment that Joshua had with God. They got that because they were hearing from God, and what God had spoken to Joshua was confirmed through the people. And I just want to encourage you to encourage the people that are encouraging you right? You're like, man, that's a lot of encouragement. Well, how much better would the church be if we just encouraged one another? 
you know, bring a word of encouragement to people who are faithfully serving. Maybe it's a life group leader. Maybe it's the women's ministry leader or the men's ministry leader or our, our, our amazing youth leaders or our children's ministry director. Maybe it's the person running information technology or the people who are behind the, uh, in the audio booth mixing the sound and doing the lights. Maybe it's someone who's serving as a, a greeter or as an usher. Like there are a lot of people doing the work of the ministry, people serving in LV Reach our gospel advancement department, leaders that were with us on the Awaken trip, just spend some time and lift other people up. And I know sometimes it's like, well, when's someone gonna lift me up? Well, when's someone gonna lift me up, pastor? And it's like, well, I'll pray for you for that, okay? But right now, what I wanna encourage you to do is lift somebody else up. And the, the truth is this, if you're looking for a feeling, right? Because sometimes it's like, well, I feel better when people encourage me. The truth is, when you encourage somebody, you're going to feel so good. You're going to feel so good. Especially when somebody says, man, that's amazing that God put that on your heart because God has been speaking that thing to me. God has been saying to me, be strong and courageous. And I, I've just needed somebody else to come along and affirm that word. Now I know it's from the Lord. I want to wrap up with, with this statement. You guys know that the Spirit of God can speak through your life just as powerfully as any one of the pastors on staff. Like, you guys know that, right? The Spirit of God dwells in you, and He can speak through you. He can give you a word. He can prompt your heart and, and give you something to say that is, that, that is just as powerful and as impactful as anybody else in this church. And so be open to it and, and take a risk. Next time you get a prompting and you're prompted to encourage somebody, go encourage somebody. You're like, well, what happens if, if it's wrong? Well, how can encouragement be wrong? Like there's literally no risk in it, okay? Um, so make sure that you do that. That's our, our study for tonight. I'm gonna pray for us, and then um, I'm gonna do one other thing yeah, that I'll tell you about after I pray. Father, thank you, God, for your word tonight, and just bring the word of encouragement. God, bring the strengthening word. Bring the word that brings us hope. Father, shape us as we're all leaders. The truth is, God, we're all leaders as Christians, and so shape us, Father, through what you did and how you spoke to Joshua, shape our lives and give us something solid to implement this week. Help us to take all of the land, every spiritual blessing that you've given to us, which is ours already in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.